Victor here again, another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be discussing mostly talk about succession. We start things off with a conversation between me and Sona about the season finale of Only Murders in the Building. So if you have not watched that show and don't want to be spoiled, jump to about the 10, 11 minute mark in this episode. After that, uh, Sona and I will be discussing last week's episode, the season premiere for season three of Succession. And we're wrapping up that conversation since we weren't able to touch base last week. And finally, at about the 30-minute mark, if you want to jump straight there, I will be discussing last night's most recent episode of Succession, the second episode of Season 3, Mass in the Time of War. So if you want to jump straight to that content, it's about the 30-minute mark. No recommendations to kick things off. This is going to be a pretty long episode considering all that content. Plus, there will be additional content coming all this week. I have some more horror content that I was not able to publish over the weekend. Plus, the Dune review, which I already watched Dune and already recorded it and simply don't have a place here in the feed to put it out. I wanted to make sure we got the succession review and recap out first. So that should be coming pretty quickly, maybe by tomorrow. That will be out along with some horror recommendations. And I have some more horror content for the Halloween week. There might be some extra episodes dropping this week. I have a conversation about Deliverance and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and all that whole cycle of 70s horror movies around this rural urban divide and the kind of tension that was there. And some of these movies that came out of that. So that will probably drop later this week as well. And maybe some other bonus content for Halloween as well. So no recommendations, but there'll be plenty more later this week. Make sure you subscribe to this feed so you know when those episodes are available. Make sure you recommend this to somebody else who might enjoy the show. That's how we grow our audience. And feel free to drop a line anytime you want. If you reach out to me at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com, I'll be sure to reply and potentially use your feedback in one of our future episodes. So with that out of the way, let's start my conversation with Sona regarding the finale of Only Murders in the Building, plus last week's episode of Succession, and also her feelings on season two of Succession, which she just wrapped up recently. And then, of course, new content today, the latest episode of Succession at about the 30-minute mark. I hope you enjoy the episode. See you on the other side. All right, Sona. So I finally get to get your feedback on a couple of things. So first of all, I know we've texted back and forth a little bit, but what was your general feeling on Only Murders in the Building as far as where it landed, what did you think about the finale and the season in general? And then what are you thinking for season two as far as like what your expectations are? Yeah. So as I said, this show for me was shockingly enjoyable considering the amount of people that I generally would never want to see in a television show. Um, you know, I really loved how clever it was, how quick it was. You had an interesting plot. Um, so all of that is good. I'm looking forward to season two. Um, having said that though, I was a little bit disappointed with the ending, you know, last week I said, I really don't think that Jan and Tim Kono were sleeping together (laughs) and I was wrong, but (laughs) the reason that I didn't think that is because I feel like for this format of show in just a few, you know, episodes, it's done a very good job of character development and explaining why people are doing what they're doing, what their backstory is, what different, you know, events have happened in their past to make them the way they are. And I didn't see anything about Tim Kono or Jan that would lead me to believe these two would have a relationship with each other. Yeah. For me, it wasn't just the age difference, which is something, right? And it was kind of a running gag throughout the episode, um, the difference between Steve Martin and Jan and between Jan and (laughs) Kono, Tim Kono, but, um, It wasn't just the age difference. It was that in my mind, we hadn't really learned anything about either of them that would make this a foreseeable matchup. What did you think? We did have yet again, another POV character on this episode where we have Tim Kono uh, narrating the episode. And even then, like to your point right now, it's a little disappointing because I feel like we don't get much interiority to him. Like he's there to really there to just give that kind of wrap up at the end to say like, you know, my murder brought these three three people together, which is a little facile considering like, like you said, we don't know anything about him. Like, why would he be drawn to Jan? How did they meet? Nothing. Right. So. And that is a disappointment when you consider the episode of the uh, the boy in 6B, where we do see his interiority. We do see where he came from. We do see how he was hurt by, you know, that relationship he had with with Zoe. And uh, and in this regard, it's just like, you know, Tim Kono got murdered and 
by the way, even though he's like narrating the episode, we like sideways discover that, oh yeah, they were having, they were having a relationship and, and she murdered yeah, him. Like, we I'm don't even sorry. know why. Like in this city, a guy with that kind of money working in finance, like no matter how obnoxious and unbearable he may be to be around, there are women throwing themselves at those guys. Right. Why Jan? Like it just. Uh... And the engagement ring, he ordered, he bought an engagement ring, right? So that was not part of this, um, you know, conspiracy. Demas chicken. Demas, yeah, the Demas family. So we, we know it's not part of that conspiracy. And uh, yeah. so that was an actual engagement ring, right? So that must have been for Jan, right? He's like who he's dating at the time. And she actually thought he was going to break up with him. So anyway, all these things are unexplored. But worse is in the previous episode, I excerpted uh, some, of, some of Jan's narration, where she's talking about how the bassoon in winter, it's hard to play. You know, you need to like warm it up. You need to like mm. have this relationship. So it's actually like an interesting piece of narration. And of course, it's supposed to be a metaphor for her as well. That's the other weird thing about it is, I could envision, I guess, that she is this woman like um, Steve Martin's character, these two characters who don't open themselves up to people normally. And here she is opening her up to Tim Kono, which led to this act of passion, let's say. And then she's trying to cover up her tracks. She's trying to get in with the podcasters because she knows they're circling around. And now she falls in love with Steve Martin, but still needs to cover her tracks. That actually is something that I would still buy that would make the show continuing the same themes and making it more interesting for me. But the idea that we find out she has killed other people in the past. So she's like a black widow and that she's trying to like murder everybody in the building. Like this is, a, this yes. is like an extreme, extremely psychopathic person. Right. So I do not see that in her character at all. But that aside, I mean, I thought she played the part of like a woman who's kind of a little unhinged very yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right. Like her joy in being able to share with Steve Martin, like, yes, you figured it out. I poisoned him. Yeah. Like exactly. That, you know, like the gleefulness of that was like very fun to watch. Um, you know, I mentioned to you when we were texting, like Steve Martin's physical comedy in this was amazing. Yeah. And I am not really one for physical comedy. And I still really, really enjoyed it. And I give him so much credit at his age to be able to be doing this kind of stuff with this level of commitment is like makes it even more fun to watch. Have you ever seen all of me? A long time ago. Yes, it's a very long, old movie. Yeah. <laughs> 40 years old or so, approximately yeah. 40 years old. And uh, yeah, I was uh, just saying that, um, I was just thinking about that, you know, that obviously this is a callback to that where he like loses control of his body because Lily Tomlin is basically possessing his mm-hmm. body. Yeah, but it made me think about that. Yeah, that um, was so fun to watch and like a uh, great little throwaway joke with trying to talk to Siri and Siri yeah. misunderstanding you and playing, bringing it full circle to Sting um, and playing Fields of Gold. <laughs> exactly. While exactly. all of this really stressful stuff is happening and like, very reminiscent, you know, for all of us who try to ask Google something and have it completely misunderstand what it is that you mean <laughs> right. and the frustration that ensues even in a non-life or death situation. So yeah, like there was still a lot to like about this. You know, listen, like it's it's a 30 minute comedy. How much did we really right. Right. expect to write? Like it didn't need to be a bulletproof resolution of the whole thing. Um, it didn't need to be something that like perfectly ties together, but I did feel that even for this kind of show, it was a bit too zany with trying to blow up the entire building and, you know, all of that seemed a bit much to me. Yeah, I agree. And and like you said, you know, I'm probably overanalyzing this because, you know, it is just kind of like a fun comedy. And I think most people are pretty happy with this. I think the audience reaction was very positive. A little bit of editing, a little more massaging of the script. This could have actually been even deeper. But uh, but yeah, the comedy was good. The physical comedy was good. Uh, I especially like the whole thing where he's standing up and saying like, "These are my friends," and they've you know, yes. like this very overwritten, corny. Yeah. Um. You know, he him trying to like basically script his own Brazos, uh, you know, uh, speech, and then yes. we cut to the reality of it where he's like, you know, mumbling and unable to speak because he's so yes. drugged up. Yeah. The only other thing I have is that uh, it looks like my guess for season two is that actually going to continue the storyline here because there are, as Mabel calls out, a lot of loose ends. Right. We have you know, we we have seen things that that they don't they're not even aware of. But, for example, we have uh, Jan going back to her apartment and seeing the note that says, I'm watching you. So who was that? I, I assumed that she had stabbed herself to throw suspicion away from her which is truly crazy pants but okay maybe right yeah right but is that the case maybe there is yet another person who's you know potentially trying to get her and then get them right because obviously somebody goes after and and that's the other uh, unanswered question here is even if they're this murder mystery is larger 
they, you know, whoever that person is has basically walked away scot-free. Like, you know, they, they, and now instead of by, by in, in, insinuating another murder, they've just extended this, this complexity even more. So it seems a little self-defeating. And, uh, and some of those things happen pretty early. I could, you could even think like, oh, maybe it's a crazy fan who's trying to, you know, get a second season of the podcast, right? I mean, that's not completely out of the question with this type of show. But, um, but some of these things started happening pretty early in the mystery. So I, I think that there might be more to this story, basically. Yep, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, um, that, and that is quite possible. And I wonder too, because um, they didn't announce the renewal until a few episodes in. So I wonder if it was all going to be the same regardless and we just would be left wondering, I don't know. The first episode starts with Mabel holding, you know, the alarm going off and they find Mabel. Oh, good point. Spot. Yes, yep. So, Yep, that's yeah, a very good point. I wonder yeah. if that was just going to be like dun dun dun. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's that's a very good point because if they the, the show had ended with them all being right. arrested and that was the end of the show, that would be pretty disappointing to fans, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess they were really hoping for that second season, I and they, well, so. well, they got it, so hey, they can't complain about yeah. it. Yeah, and it's been a big success, by the way. I mean, listen, I love a clever show, and this was a very, very clever show in the dialogue and the wit. Speaking of witty dialogue, so you finished season two of Succession. What did you think yes. of season two? I enjoyed it. I mean, <laughs> there is something, you know, I often wonder with shows like this, I, not that Seinfeld is anything like this because it's not, but it's one of those shows that I watch and I kind of wonder like, is this as enjoyable for people that are not in the New York City metropolitan area? Because <laughs> right. You know, there are so many specific uh, types of people and references to things that um, that I enjoy about it, that I wonder um, if it would be as enjoyable for someone who is not able to have a personal connection to those references. But I mean, obviously, the show is tremendously, su tremendously successful. So I guess it does connect with people. I mean, I just like, wow, they have just made everyone here so unlikable. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and even when you start to like somebody, you know, they do something that you're kind of like, ah, yeah, you are still a jerk. But I really like all of the plot developments. I mean, one thing that is interesting to me is that as far as time progressing, it's like this show is really just inching along, isn't yeah. it? Like, yes. Yep. I mean, it's been two years of show, but in the, the time span of the show, I don't think it's been very long at all. Right. It's been months, I think. It's not like a year. It's, um, you know, it's probably months. So yeah, this show is just really, as far as time passing in that world, it's really inching along. I mean, I, I like these characters I, I in that, like, they are very complex. They're very nuanced. There are times that you can root for them because they are on the right side of something. There are times that they are so freaking unlikable. You just, like, can't bear to be invested in them at all. And I think there's just a lot of... Uh, of really interesting interactions between them because of their history together and, and all of that. I must say, I find the Roman Jerry thing kind of disturbing. So that I probably <laughs> right. don't need to know any more about than I already know, but everybody else I'm interested in knowing more about. <laughs> Who would you say your favorite is right now? Oh, wow. Like it's very hard to pick anyone as a favorite because I know, but <laughs> it sure is. I think I'm rooting for Greg. I got to tell you, I think I'm rooting for Greg. Are you Greg the Egg? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think I, I think I'm rooting for him because I have to respect him, first of all, for just being bold enough to keep sticking his neck out. And he takes his opportunities. He takes his shots. So I feel like when you look at like Tom, for example, Tom could have had this thing. And it's funny, I always parallel Tom and Greg, because I think Tom sees Greg and thinks like, that's me, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, mm -hmm. whatever it is. So I think they're very similar. But at the same time, I think that Greg takes the initiative. You know, he's smart enough to not shred those documents. And he's, he's so street smart. Yes. He's so yep. street smart. And you yep. feel like that must be something that came from his mom, right? Yes. Yes. I like how he always counsels with his mom too about everything. Yeah. Because <laughs> in that very first episode, she's like, here's what you're going to do. You're yep. going to go yep. see your uncle. So yeah, he is just so street smart, street smart. And I love towards the end of season two, when they're on the boat, you know, someone, I, I can't remember if it's Kendall or someone else is like, why is Greg always here? How does he keep <laughs> right, showing up exactly, every place that right. we are? Yep, <laughs> and, yep. You know, I give him credit. He has weaseled his way into that family. Yep. And, and that's why I think it's impressive is that, you know, first of all, <laughs> you know, his mom obviously, you know, pushes him oftentimes, but uh, at other times he just works the angle he has whenever he has it. But like you said, 
I can't be on that yacht. And his mom will just be like, you have to be on that yacht. And he just figures a way to get on there, just figures it out. So I give him a lot of credit for that. And I think it's almost like a upstairs, downstairs type situation where he's like wallpaper. People ignore him and he, yes. but he's, there, he's paying attention to everything. So it's like, and he's drinking it all in. <laughs> exactly. yeah. yeah. They think so, he's so harmless that yep. they don't have to worry. Exactly. And like a lot of cute little um, one-off comments from him that are very, Oh my funny. God. Like he's so funny. In season one, where like they catch him scarfing down cookies or hoarding cookies, I can't yeah. remember what it is in the office, and he's like, "I just need some nourishment. I actually yeah. haven't eaten in thirty six hours." <laughs> he's just so honest funny. about things. That's what's so funny about him is that he's <laughs> conniving in some ways, but then just brutally honest, which I guess that's what is a weapon of his. And he's not even doing it strategically; he's just doing it naively. But I just think about in this specific episode in season three, episode one that we just watched. That, you know, when he's oversharing with uh, those uh, PR women and he just starts saying, I have to cancel my mom's black card. She <laughs> went, bought a bunch of crypto. And she's just like, it's just, it, it, the lady's just like, uh-huh. Okay. Like, why is he still talking? <laughs> it, it is very fun to watch him. I think I really, um, if I had to pick a favorite right yeah. now, I would probably say Roman. Although okay, yeah. uh, the Jerry stuff is disturbing to me. And there's obviously, I'm going to, obviously i mean i'm assuming there's some kind of like mommy issue situation yes, there but definitely. um <laughs> but nonetheless i feel he is underestimated i have respect for the whole terrorist situation type thing that <laughs> yeah. went down yeah. and how he came through it he has a perceptiveness that other members of the family don't necessarily seem to have about what's going on for example where he's saying to his dad like this isn't a real offer about going private that like everyone's saying like, this is the solution to our problems. This is what we're going to do. And he's saying like, but the truth is, I don't think it's a real offer. So do you want to put all your eggs in that basket? Um, they blew you know, up that rocket though. Remember that? Sorry. I remember he had the whole like uh, rocket that was going to take off. And then he's basically watching it from, uh, I think it's from Shiv's uh, at Shiv's, uh, was it Shiv's wedding or but basically like, you know, that was like his big, uh, you know, proof of uh, concept. That's this big thing. And, and it ends up blowing up on the, on the launch pad. <laughs> He is so cocky, you know, preening this whole entire time. And he's just so confident about like, he's got this thing going. And then he even like, he like yells at them on the phone being like, you have to move up the date. You have to move it up. And they're telling him we don't want to rush it. And then the okay, thing you remember that. I do remember that part. Yeah. And then it blows up and it's just like, so crazy. Oh <laughs> well, what about also buying the wrong soccer team? Right. <laughs> oh my God. That's great. I forgot about that one. Holy cow. That is great. I love that one. That is, that's just like, yeah, whatever. And he's just like, oh, great. And now he owns it. He doesn't know what to do with it. He doesn't even watch soccer. He doesn't about soccer. Uh, so that's, see, given that, that's what's so shocking to me about the show. Given that history with Roman, that he's like, his dad has Roman near the top of this thing. It's like a, a, on a succession list until Roman basically says, Jerry would do a better job than me. So, yeah. uh, which is telling, by the way, that even though he talks a good game, he is afraid of taking the role, first of all. Second of all, I think that whatever his weird, at first I thought this was purely a perversion between him and Jerry, but I think he really does have feelings for her. And uh, mm -hmm. I think he le really legitimately, he's working both angles at the same time. I think he legitimately thinks she's good for the role. He's trying to help her out. And he also thinks this is a power play for him because he's still trying to get close to Jerry, right? So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in my recap of it, I was talking about how I basically said that they have this weird sexual relationship. And then I said, hold on a second. He has a sexual relationship with her, <laughs> which is exclusively in his mind because he's asexual. So this is his only like sexual outlet that he has with this woman. Although I'm like, I don't know if she has any relationship with him at all. Like she's, no, she's she just kind of on the other side of the door. She's just on the other side of the door. Yes, but she's <laughs> encouraging it. So there is something yes. there. Well, she's um, encouraging it. I think it's, and I think she's enjoying how weird it is, but I also think that it's another power play, right? So she has yeah. one of the Logans under her thumb. It helps That's her. True. Right? So. That's true. I mean, maybe if there's one person that I could root for in this entire show of everyone we've met, it's Rava. Now that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. What did you think? What did you think about her reaction to when um when Kendall shows up at the apartment, which is hilarious, by the way, that this is, this is the only safe place for him to land. He has not considered like, where do I land after this press conference? Yes. Hasn't even thought about it. But anyway, he ends up at Rava's, which was a great use of, you know, that you know, plot point. And then he invites his girlfriend over like, yeah, sure. Not only are yeah. you imposing on your ex-wife, now your ex-girlfriend, I mean, your current girlfriend's coming yes. over also. This is all like an ego trip for him, obviously. 
But her reaction, I mean, do you see that as sincere or do you think that's her own power play where she's like, oh, good for you. Maybe this will work out. Oh, I didn't actually watch the press conference, but I did see the headline and I'm like, yeah, good. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. You know, like how, how did you read her? I just get the sense from the two of them that it's one of those relationships that is never really going to be done. Yeah. Um, you know, that like their connection for whatever reason that I, I feel has not been established that I've seen unless maybe I went to get a soda. But um, <laughs> but I, I think for whatever reason, they have a very deep connection and I think a deep love for each other that the circumstances have made impossible for them to fulfill. And yeah. so it seems to me that it's one of those things where that love will always be there connecting them no matter who comes in and out of their lives. Um, and it's crowded out with like resentments and betrayals and everything else that <laughs> right, happens right. in life. But that love is still there. That's what I get. What do you think? No, it's complicated because I feel like I do agree that I think he does love her, but I think he couldn't be a husband to her when they were together. And yeah. I think that that's not just the Logan situation. That's his own personality. Like it's that problem with his yes. addiction and everything. It's like, he's always yes. looking for some outlet, some exit, I should say. Right. So, and yes. then of course, when she's not there, then he wants her back. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and it's a perfect example of this again, right. Where you obviously see that he's looking for her. I think he's not just looking for her approval in a platonic way. I do agree that there's still a romantic connection there, but yet I think he does also think like he is serious about this new woman as well so it's like yeah and, and, i agree you know agree. so it's it's so i'm just saying that that is all his like in other words i think he's in love with the idea of her but at the same time he needs to have two women there who he thinks are both in love with him although i don't think rob is in love with him anymore but um uh you know uh, just to uh, you know to, to soothe his ego right or to make him or to encourage him at least to keep um going what i feel from her character is that she has been burned badly enough by him yeah. that she will not let herself get close to him again, but True. not because the feelings aren't there, but because she has other things to consider. Like one of the first comments she makes to him is something about like cocaine on the kids' iPads, right? Oh yeah. So yeah. It's like that idea of like, as a mom, you protect your kids at all costs. Yeah. And that idea of like, it doesn't even matter what she feels because she knows that this guy is not a good stabilizing presence to have around the kids. Right. I definitely see more of that in like season was, I don't remember now if it's season one or season two, but there's like a, 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 a scene where she's dating somebody and they're having a conversation about it. And then they end up in the bathroom together and they kind of hook up with each other. Yeah. I kind of mm -hmm. feel that kind of unresolvedness there more than I see it. than I feel it um, in this interaction. I kind of feel like she does seem like she's kind of moved on. Like, you know, maybe it's because she's in a new relationship on the one hand seems very cold and being like, I heard, I read the headline, but I didn't mm -hmm. even watch the press conference. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. So you could almost say like, that's her getting a dig on him, especially after the cocaine mm -hmm, line. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I actually thought that maybe that's not the case at all. Maybe she's just like, you know what? She was married to him for like, what, over 10 years. They've known each other for probably like almost 20 years at this point, 15, whatever it would be. I'm trying to do the math, whatever that amount of time is. He's probably been like, I'm going to, get on my dad's good side. I'm going to be the CEO. I'm going to take my mm -hmm, dad down. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he's probably kissing his dad's ass one day, about how great his dad mm -hmm, is. And then being like, mm -hmm. we have to destroy him the next day. And she's probably heard this for 15 years. So she's just like, well, True. yeah, maybe this time, <laughs> who knows? Right. So and uh, they do have that um, funny exchange about the men's razors in the bathroom, right? Very humorous. That is great. That interaction, by the way, uh, I'm mm -hmm. glad you called it out because what's so great about the writing of the show in general, but just that specific interaction is how they can't let anything go. Where instead yeah. of her just being like, oh, whatever, like just rolling her eyes and walking away, she has to be like, men's razors are sharper. And he's like, oh, no, no, that's, and they're like, they have to have the argument out, even though yes. she's like, basically, it's just like, why? Just stop, just stop people, just stop. Yes. <laughs> but that's, that goes back to that, that element of they can't really let go of being a married it's couple. Never so. yeah, yeah, exactly, it's never exactly. done. Yeah, exactly. It's never really done. It's never done. So I will say that the one character that I have not grown any fondness for is Shiv and mm, yeah. and I don't know like I you know how I like to be a woman supporting other women and like I thought you know there was going to be something that came through for me and resonated with the Shiv character but nope <laughs> I, I, you know what's interesting about the Shiv character I, well I mean if you want to sympathize with a woman character I mean you have Rava obviously but I think you can also Jerry is I think is a good character to sympathize Jerry with is a good character. I think she I is I think she's, you know, she has depth, you know, like they've, they've, you know, fleshed her out more. You found yes. out about her husband and all the, the yes. her backstory. I agree. 
but also she's very competent. She's like, I mean, like Logan is not very competent. Like you really watch the show and you're like, Jerry's what's keeping this thing going. I feel like she's a very competent person. And maybe the, you know, she definitely is the heir to that uh, role. And yes, no, this, that's all true. But I'm just saying like, of all the characters, there is the almost siblings. always some time right. that you can take their side. Right. I have not ever taken Shiv's side. Of all the characters that we have met here, there has always been a time that I think no matter how unlikable this person is, they are right about this specific thing. I just have never seen it in Shiv. I've never, or maybe she's so unlikable that even when she's right, I don't care. I don't know. I wonder if that's a failing of the show in the writing of the character, because when you think about like now, as you're saying that I'm, I picture Kendall and by the way, specifically to season three, the premiere episode last week's uh, secession is what it was called in that episode. I found that Ken Kendall in that episode is insufferable. Like all of the <laughs> CEO jargon that he's talking, uh, like he can't uh-huh. go five words without throwing some jargon out there. It's yeah. infuriating, but the only thing that makes that all tolerable is the very first moments of the episode where he's basically trying to like disappear into the tub. So yeah, there is this fragility to him. There's this, you know, yeah. this, this pain that he's had since childhood, I assume. And then, you know, we even have a flashback. I think the only flashback the show's ever had to Roman being like put in a cage by his brother when he was yeah. younger. So once again, you see these, their dynamic when they're younger. And I think Roman is like an extension of that backstory. Kendall's an extension of his backstory. And this is why I say maybe it's a failing of the show. I feel like we don't know backstory, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, and you can write one in her head, like she was the only woman. She's probably, yeah. you know, she had to always be the guy. She has to be tougher than everybody else. Yeah. But to your point, we've never seen her vulnerability, right? She yeah. she asks crazy things of Tom. Yeah. Flighty in that way that one moment she still wants to be in love, you know, she loves him, she still wants to be with him. And then she'll like in the next scene, like sabotage things. She wanted to throw Tom under the bus in yep. the last season. Like that is yeah. unforgivable, more unforgivable yeah. than even the stuff she tried to pull on their wedding uh weekend, right? It's <laughs> which is pretty bad, right? But I mean, bad. yeah, I mean, throwing him being like, Well, how about Tom? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's horrible, right? So it's really unforgivable. And then she, but she likes to consider herself a good person, which I think is that hypocrisy that makes her so unlikable. But I would really like to know more. And and maybe, you know, I think we've seen more of Kendall's backstory over time. We've seen more of Roman's backstory. We understand his psychology. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. it's her year. Maybe it's her time. Maybe that's a when is point. it Alan Ruck's turn? Maybe next year. <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely not in the running if you notice. So I think there's nobody who thinks he's in the oh, running yeah. for it. <laughs> Yeah, and he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it anyway. So yeah, exactly. No, he's got his eyes on, uh, you know, being the president. So (laughs) speaking of funny stuff, how about that failed Broadway show? And I was uh, about to mention that. (laughs) What's what's her name? His 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 girlfriend. Willa. Willa. Willa, Right. Willa's reaction when she like just starts reading the. (laughs) She starts reading the reviews and throws the iPad off the off the ship. Yes, she just flick, flips <laughs> just it over it. her shoulder. It was, it was like it was it was like it was hot to the touch or something. Yes, yes, <laughs> hysterical. Oh, and then and I think course- we're all wondering too, right? Okay, she's an escort, fine, but is she actually a brilliant playwright that just hasn't had the opportunity? Yes, no, you hope uh, that exactly. You hope that there's something there. Exactly. <laughs> nope. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely not. And then he's basically saying like, oh, maybe we can like, you know, we can do like, uh, like uh, the spider speaking of Broadway musicals again, maybe we could do it like Spider-Man, uh, yeah. how that became like people started yeah. seeing it because they're like, oh, maybe someone will break their back the day we go. Like, so <laughs> it ends up getting like 5 million, uh, you know, yeah. uh, um, sales per week because people are hoping that they go there for, on a night where there's a disaster. Right. So maybe it's like, hey, maybe we could pitch it that way. And she's like, great. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what I want it to happen. <laughs> Oh, I love it. (laughs) It's funny because it's written so intimately. It's really just about this family. And even these giant, you know, business machinations are happening like purely in the background. Like, I feel like that's kind of the power of the show in a way, because I mean, I think it's like kind of like how office work is. There's all this uh, stuff that has to happen for a decision to be made. And in the end, it's like an inconsequential decision. (laughs) And I think that's kind of what this is too, right? It's like as big as it is, as big as a stage as it is, it's all just a lot of drama that the players are creating when like no one really cares. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, like the stock price might go up or down if like Rogan right. died, like Logan died or something. 
but uh, but that's about it. <laughs> that's, that's the yeah. extent of it. I'm really enjoying it. It's just, you know, all the characters, with the exception of this Shiv thing we're talking about, all the characters are so well developed and their relationships with each other are all so interesting and have so much history and are so complex. And it's just um, really fun to watch and definitely one of those shows, despite, you know, the fact that I was trying to power through it and did keep stepping away from it here and there, you know, definitely one of those shows that, you know, in my mind, ideally, you are not multitasking and you just sit and watch um, because there's so much to take in and so much you would miss otherwise. Yeah. And I actually think that that's, this is the right way. I mean, I know you ended up binging it, but I think this is the right way for people to watch this show. I think that's the way, this is one of those shows and this is something HBO does really well. Mayor of Easttown did this as well. It's so dense with just character elements. So dense. It's yeah. the type of show that you want to watch once and then maybe over the course of the week, watch it again just to get the jokes, yes. just to get like the, some of the little, so, like what did that so smile popular. mean? Yes. Like the smirk, a perfect example of that is the very last shot of season two when Kendall betrays Logan. Mm-hmm. And there's like, it's like the spinning top in Inception. Just as they're cutting to black, there's this smirk, just a smirk yeah. for a split second on Logan's face. And, you know, the whole summer, well, now it's been over a year because the show got delayed in the middle of its production, but um, it's been almost two years actually. But, uh, you know, everybody was talking about like, what did that smirk mean? Does it mean like, oh, he's finally a killer? Does it mean like, oh, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to take him down. Like, you know, like what did that smirk mm-hmm. mean? And it's the type of thing that you can just, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of mull over and uh, more so than, you know, like a, a show, like a Netflix type bingeable show that kind of ends on a cliffhanger and then you just spin up the next one. It's actually more fun for me anyway, to, you know, take it in a little by little. When you watch Better Call Saul, for example, which is also a slow show, uh, by the way, right? So it was such a slow burn and so worth it. Yeah. And, and that's like something that once again, I, I assume you don't burn, you don't binge it, right? You're watching it week to week, right? Right. Yes. So it's the same type of thing, right? Where it's kind of like, you know, you just kind of see, you watch the whole entire episode to have like this one conversation. Yes. Uh, and then you th- then you think about like, what did that conversation mean? Yeah. Look away at your own risk. There are certain ones where, you know, you could be like, I'm going to go get a piece of candy. Tell me if I miss anything. Like that's not one of these. Right. 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 <laughs> Notice how much snacks play into my <laughs> Yes, I noticed. I noticed. You got to get all the snacks ahead of time. You got to get them there first. I I don't know what I'm going to crave, you know, but um... (laughs) just have a variety around you. Something salty, Uh, something sweet. Got to go. Mix it up. Also a very fun, not nuanced joke, very on in your face joke, but a very funny joke I thought was the one where they um, think there's an active shooter situation and there's oh, a yes. panic room. And are you in the good panic room <laughs> yes, or are you yes. in the secondary panic room <laughs> of people, that are, which is, you know, really just a room and, you know, it doesn't really protect you from anything. Um, and that analysis of like, well, who's in your room? Who's in your room? I thought was very funny. <laughs> And, and that happens constantly in the show, by the way, like even in this most recent episode where they're like, you know, which, which car do I get in? Yes. Mm-hmm. I love Absolutely. Roman's conversation where he goes, can I, am I going to your car with you, dad? Yeah. He goes, are you going to suck my dick? Yeah. And he goes, he says to his son as he faces yeah. sexual assault. allegations. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. He's great, by the way, uh, of all the Culkins, definitely the best yeah. Culkin. <laughs> I mean, I only know of the two. Do you know another? There were others. I mean, there was a few Culkins that kind of started out. I think this one, mm-hmm. he 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 kind of kind of disappeared. And then I saw him again in um in the Fargo series, I think season two, where he was mm-hmm. like a total screw up, by the way, just like an audition for this show, like a total screw up younger brother. And uh, and now he's got this show, which is like, you know, now he's really become even more famous from this. Well, you know, maybe Macaulay imparted some wisdom after his experiences. So yeah. Maybe he learned from his brother. He needs, to, he needs to change up his roles a little bit, though, because I really liked him once again in No, what's it called? No Sudden Moves. Remember that no, um, Steven Soderbergh movie we watched earlier yeah. this summer? Mm. And I really liked him there. But once again, he's kind of the coked up, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, um, screw up, right? Uh, okay. Although he's definitely more proficient there, I think, than here. All right. So right. I will be watching tonight. I will probably do my, re- I'm going to try to get the recap out quickly. And then maybe we touch base during the week and I'll get your feedback on a new episode. Awesome. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. So that was our conversation. And I've not had feedback yet from her or from my wife on this most recent episode, which just aired last night. But let's get into it. Succession, season three, episode two, Mass in the Time of War. Good big picture. We're at the end of the long American century. Our company is a declining empire inside a declining empire. Amen, brother. People are, are, are killing themselves with guns or dope so fast that we're losing pace. Unsubscribe. To start things off, 
I'm always very curious about what people call the episodes and what it means thematically. Is it a clue as to what the author of the episode is trying to convey? I think I might be a little too dumb <laughs> for this one. So Mass in the Time of War is a mass written by Hayden. And I don't know much about classical music, so I don't know how it would thematically tie into this. And from my cursory understanding from reading Wikipedia, this is a famous piece based on its use of timpani. So it's the meter of the song, but it is a mass written for war times. So these are war times on the show, right? Father versus father. But is this a mass? Maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> it is a bit of a reprieve before, I think, maybe a calm before the storm. That will be, I think, the strength of this episode and maybe my criticism of it as well. And we'll get into that. The entirety of this episode is all of these angles that we kind of started seeing coming together last week. And it's a little convenient, by the way, that these jet setters have, <laughs> you know, we see Logan is still overseas eating very bad hotel food. Which is surprising, considering you figure he could pull some strings. But the kids are back in the U.S., actually all back in New York. They're all circling around Kendall. And that's basically what we see here. Everybody kind of working their angles. They're trying to figure out where they're going to land. They're trying to get a little bit of information to woo the dad or to manipulate someone or to make a power play. So it's all this kind of walking on eggshells trying to push each other's buttons, but not too much, try to get a little bit of information, not commit to anything. And obviously all of this is with Logan looming in the background, their fear uh, of their dad. So first of all, I'm just going to start off with Greg. Greg keeps impressing me. In some of these ways, I don't know if he's just like <laughs> innately savvy at this, or if it's just his constant weaselly um, ability to find an out, but he stumbles almost inadvertently into the right answer each time. And with Tom, he's trying to say, Tom, you're still, I'm still your friend. I'm still on your side. But at the same time, he's not revealing that he's the one who might be the source for these papers. But he's also not saying that it's not him either. And then, of course, he lets slip to Tom that Shiv is there. So as soon as that happens, that kind of diverts Tom to his attention because now he wants to suddenly want Greg to keep that under your hat. Don't tell my dad about it because that'll be, might be bad for Shiv. If your dad finds out that Shiv was the first one there, etc. So has diverted Tom, who might be the real dolt here of all of them, by the way, who keeps underestimating Greg's ability. And maybe, like I said, Greg might be inadvertently the wolf <laughs> in sheep's clothing here, but multiple times in this episode, not only with his interactions with, with Kendall, mentioning that he wants to have some level of protection. And then of course, his interactions with Tom, protecting himself, not saying too much, and diverting the conversation to Shiv. And then back at his apartment, asking his first semester, as a first semester law student, <laughs> friend, for legal advice. Should I text my professor? <laughs> a great uh, piece of advice uh, from, from someone you're asking for legal representation. So it seems like he's about to step in it here when Jerry has sent one of the corporate lawyers there. And Greg doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know whether he should talk to this guy or not, whether he's there to protect him or protect the corporation. But in all of this lack of knowledge, he's smart enough to basically say, you know what, uh, do I pick you or do you pick me? And that's a very key point. So they're like, no, you pick us. So he's like, okay, well then let me think about it and let me go talk to somebody else. He ends up talking to his grandfather, which is a good ally here, although his grandfather has his own agenda. But still, the grandfather of all these folks, in a way, is not going to pull Greg into these existing, or the ones that we're privy to, these uh, familial, the, the siblings and the father and that, that dy dynamic between them, which he would simply become a pawn there. In a way, he now potentially becomes a pawn for his grandfather. But that agenda being outside of this kind of toxic internal dynamic might be the best play for him. And it remains to be seen. But it does throw another angle into this whole storyline. I also really enjoyed when he was trying to explain to his grandfather why he needed legal representation that when everybody goes to war and they're in armor, you don't want to be caught in a loincloth and he apologizes to him for that, uh, for the imagery. <laughs> all right. Next thing I want to talk about is Tom. I really feel like of all the folks here, Tom is the most, even more so than Greg. Tom is the real babe in the woods here. He has nearly been thrown to the wolves multiple times. He's been almost been the sacrificial lamb to keep throwing animal metaphors in here for this whole thing. He may not even be aware of all the times that he's been on the hook. And yet he still keeps being loyal to the fantasy of this relationship he has with Shiv, to the fantasy of this familial relationship he has. And it's it's interesting. I, mean, I guess now just thinking about it, that that is a commentary in and of itself. Whereas the Roys are pretending to be purely calculating, but are completely defined by their underlying familial dynamic. Tom, on the other hand, seems to be 
making decisions and acting out on an internal fantasy of what like a married couple is supposed to be, what this situation, like, you know, being handed this job by his his father-in-law, who obviously respects him, and that's why he gave him the job, which is totally a fallacy. But it's as if Tom has a idealized view of these things that he've, he's gotten, and he acts on the fantasy of it rather than the reality of it. But the reality is that these folks have him around as long as they're useful to him, and he will always be the first to go if someone needs to, to take a fall. That, that includes Shiv as one of his potential betrayers. And this also makes me wonder about, Isona just brought it up in the conversation we just had, how she finds Shiv to be by far the least sympathetic of all these characters. And we were trying to kind of pinpoint why that is. Some of it, I think maybe she's a little underwritten. I think that might be a limitation in compared to some of the other characters on the show. But once again, this is another character detail in which makes her a very unsympathetic character because it makes you wonder why is she with Tom? Is it just because he's easy to manipulate? The most generous way to read it is that she likes his view of her. She likes his view, this naive view of capitalism or of this culture that he's inherited or that he's stepping into. So she likes that outsider perspective that is untainted by the reality. So that's a generous way to read it. The least generous way to be, read it is that he's like the dog at her at her heels. And I think both things are true at the same time. I think sometimes she treats him like, you know, her dog. And sometimes she, you know, treats her like a uh, idealistic romantic suitor. And then he tries, he tries to be that master of the world uh, killer CEO that, that he tries to play the role that Logan perceives that like a CEO is supposed to be this projection of flawlessness and power and certainty and never looking back and never second guessing. But it's not him at all. It's so transparently not him. So all that is to say that once again, I feel bad for Tom. The only person who's lower on the totem pole is Greg. So he hurls abuse at him. Meanwhile, Greg is using that in, sometimes intentionally, sometimes inadvertently to work his own angle. And he might be way savvier. Not might be. He definitely is savvier than Tom. And that leads us to Shiv, who shows up at Kendall's. As we knew, she was at the end of last episode heading somewhere after not getting the CEO job. And it is to go to Kendall. And this isn't just going to be criticism of her. It is the spinelessness of all the, the siblings. They all want Kendall to take the dad down. And simultaneously, they are afraid it will destroy the dad. They know that at some level, the dad's identity is so tied into not only the company he's built, but the perception of it, the perception of him as being infallible, that they worry legitimately that this could really destroy him. Simultaneously, they fear him. There's no doubt that they have a unbridled fear of him. As a matter of fact, when those donuts show up, <laughs> just the threat of the donuts, dad knows we're here. Oh my God, we got to get out of here. <laughs> fear through the group. So he, he looms over them. And the dad, of course, knows he's using this dynamic. The fear and idolization that he instilled in them since they were kids. And he knows how to use it. He knows how to push their buttons. And then Roman shows up and they have their back and forth. The, the same dynamic starts playing out. We get all the siblings together. Almost all of them are still waiting on Connor, but he's on his way too. But before that happens, speaking of Logan and Connor, there is just a sign, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in the show, even like when he had his stroke, you know, came out of that stroke or when he was trying to hide his symptoms or then recovering from it, he tried to continue, Logan, this is, tried to continue to project this strength and infallibility. But I think maybe to, maybe in this episode, for the first time that I can remember, we see him really in a weakened position, at least at the beginning of the episode. And he feels like he's losing the kids. He's, you know, messing around with a very ugly looking salad. <laughs> and he even calls Connor up and apologizes for the cruel things he said about the play and about Connor in general being like a flake and running for president, etc. All the things he said to him on the yacht last season. And he actually apologizes. I mean, honestly, this might be the first time I've ever seen him apologize to anybody. So it really shows how weakened he is. And then Connor shows up too. Interestingly, before the siblings start to show up at, at Kendall's, um, or I should say at Rava's apartment where Kendall is, that even at that point, Kendall is basically talking to one of his advisors as if he needs an escape plan because what if his dad decides to like pull all his strings and like basically he's, he's making it sound like he can have the CIA and FBI swoop in and, and kill him or something. And they're like, I don't think that's possible. And he's like, but what if it is possible? So, I mean, the kids are so intimidated by the dad and it speaks to maybe the way we perceive our parents, period, but specifically in the context of this really, someone who's really leveraging that 
power over his kids. I mean, they think he's supernatural or something. <laughs> and by the way, the donuts suddenly showing up, which they still suspect is possible that they might have been poisoned. There's a chance the father might just be trying to kill them all, even if it accidentally kills his grandchildren or, or you know, innocent bystanders. It's as if he has nearly supernatural powers. And they and that's what he's trying to instill in them. Meanwhile, he is very insecure and he feels he might be losing, finally losing control of this whole thing. And I really like all of these conversations that we start seeing occurring one-on-one and between the siblings throughout the episode. Directly to the conversation I just had with Sona that you may have listened to earlier in this episode, Kendall finally confronts Shiv about her. She's not a good person. I think since this thing broke, we've all been trying to navigate our way through conflicting loyalties. And that's difficult. You tell yourself you're a good person, but you're not a good person. Right now, I'm the real you. (laughs) What? Sure, you're the real me. And I'm the real you. Yeah. She thinks she's a good person, but she's not a good person. And that's a really interesting point that he makes. Before that, we also see a very interesting dynamic between Jerry and Roman. Once again, Jerry is working her angles and Roman is trying to work Jerry. And she seems to be taking him under her wing, being like, let me mentor you. And uh, and she knows that he likes that. He needs this kind of uh, motherly relationship. And as a matter of fact, the siblings all bust his chops about it in this very episode. Culture and whatnot. You're, you have an instinctive... Thank you. I have a thought. I think you should put together an executive committee to guide things in this interregnum. Well, you know, I don't want to dilute my potency. Yeah, but on the big calls, you dip everyone's hands in blood. But you and me, we run it to fuck. See, I was thinking that first we would start with, you know, working you into the quarterly earnings calls as a signal. Mm-hmm. But, um, likey, you know, likey, that's a good start. Let me think about the executive committee thing. I mean, yeah. it has good angles. You know, like, he's irreplaceable, takes six of us to replace one of him. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Your apprenticeship begins. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Jerry's very interesting in how she is working her angles. It, it, everything she says is very pragmatic. She says, I want to con- keep maintain as much power as I can. I want to look like I'm doing what Logan wants me to do because that's how I got this position. I want to partner with Roman, but I want to give the illusion that we're just doing this to help out Logan when really it's a way for them to get a little more leverage on their side between by working together. So there's all these little angles that are being worked out. And it's so funny because it's so fractional. Everybody's like saying, I want, I have 5%, I want eight. Like no one's trying to get 50. Everyone's just trying to work these little angles so that when the other shoe drops, they can make a play. And it's like a game of chess. You're all just trying to put the pieces on the board where you have multiple positions of strength. And to that point, I think everybody acknowledges the fact that Cherry is essential to the corporation. She really needs, she's really needed at this point to keep the company afloat. And simultaneously, Logan is basically saying, we need someone to watch her. We need someone to keep an eye on her. And it looks by the end, and we'll get back to it, where it might be Shiv who's going to be that that supervisor. And then really the engine of this episode comes with finally getting all four of the siblings together in one room. But I'm here to find out what you want and to get you to back down. Yeah, on dad's behalf. Uh-huh. Oh, right. Right, right. So if I say I'm taking him down and I'm not interested in any deals with him, you just you call him, tell him and just take a hike. Yeah. He's here. Who's here? Connor. Send him in. All right. Thought I heard a clown car pulling up. Ideally, I'd like to make a media appearance, all four of us. Oh, would oh, you? sweet. Are we going to be wearing costumes that you've designed? Asshole? Yeah, that's just not going to happen. Hey. Okay. Hey. Well, thanks for coming. Hey, Con. Here we all are. You know, Pop's looking for you, too. Yeah, we're here on his behalf. Oh, sure thing, honey. Me too. All about dad. That's why we're all here. And you kind of see Kendall at his best and his worst here all at the same time. And it's the the dynamic is really fascinating. You see that Kendall is, for example, throwing out, he's spewing out all these different ideas. We're going to be multinational. We're going to be the media company of the future. It's the end of the great whites, right? Like the uh, 
and the world has moved on and we need to come up with a new strategy. And you all know I'm right. And, you know, Daz is going to keep this old business model that's going to sink the business, you know, if not today, well, then inevitably. And they all know this is true. But at the same time, Kendall spews out all these things. He's literally messaging five different things. We're going to save the world. We're going to save media. We're going to, you know, we are in a post-American world. We're at all these kind of talking points that are out there. And you see that the messaging is working for each of the siblings differently. So not only is he kind of on the money with all these things, it's also an argument that's kind of all over the place. So my thing is, if this shit was just epiphenomenal, maybe it could be written out. But these incidents are symptomatic of a foundational sickness within our father and his company. Don't you use that tongue prettier than a $20 whore? <laughs> yeah, like, what's your point? My point is the milk is going sour. Well, that explains it. You know, the, the great whites, from politics to culture, they're rolling off stage. It's our time. Oh, you mean us? This multi-fucking-ethnic transgender alliance of 20-something dreamers we got right here? <laughs> And worse than that is that Kendall lacks the soft skills to bring these people into their folds. These people, his siblings, are manipulated by their dad by a combination of fear, loyalty, and love. And the blend of those things is constantly changing. Sometimes it's mostly fear. Sometimes it's mostly loyalty. Sometimes it's their, their love for their dad, which they obviously still have, no matter what kind of upbringing they had and no matter how much dra uh, trauma he puts them through, even to this day. I mean, they're always, he's always going to be their dad. But Kendall can't make the final sale because he can't get to that emotional core. He can say the words. He can point out all the flaws. But then in the end, A, he has his own bad blood with these siblings. He cannot solve those problems. He's not working on them. He doesn't have the soft skills to connect those dots. He doesn't seem to see that that is what's missing. And at the same time, they know he's in it for himself. So how much of this am I going to get? Even if we support him, even if we back him, does he just become the new dad? And now are we under his thumb? So there's the fear of abandoning the dad. There's the fear of being stuck under Kendall. There's a lack of confidence that Kendall can actually pull this off, even if he was given the reins. And what's so fascinating about this whole dynamic is that Logan is in a way his own worst enemy. Logan has been grooming these kids from the start to be the cutthroat sociopaths that he believes they need to be to run the company. Meanwhile, he will never surrender his seat of power. It is his identity. It is the only thing that he cares about. Where, what would he do if he was no longer the CEO of that company? He would be nothing. And he will take the company down in flames rather than surrender power to somebody else. So he's basically saying to the kids, I will never give this up. And the only way to take the crown is to kill the king, period. It's the only way. And he says it, you're not a killer. You're not a killer. So he's basically saying, you need to be a killer. Who are you trying to kill? You're trying to kill me. He will not surrender the power. He's telling them directly to their face, you need to kill me to take this. And they can't pull the trigger. They can't do it. Even now, Kendall even says it in this very episode. He only made the move because his dad was saying, I'm sending you to jail. And he's like, well, this is my only out. If dad's going to throw me under the bus, he's going to, you know, sir, you know, make this blood sacrifice and throw me to the wolves. Then I only have one out and it's killing him inside that this is his, that this, that his dad did this to him and that he is now having to do this to his dad. And his dad is saying, do it. He's literally like tearing open his shirt, pointing at his heart and saying, take your shot. But they won't do it. And it's his own selfishness, right? Like Logan could potentially groom his kids, take a back seat, pull strings from the background. He still has this familial power over them that he could easily use, have kind of a shadow power over the corporation. But he would never do that. It would be too much of a blow to his ego. So anyway, it's a really fascinating psychology when you think about all this. And we're seeing the kids together, who, by the way, in the end, they will not go with Kendall. Kendall's alone again. Kendall, by the way, proving that he's not ready for leadership yet, goes from kind of seducing them, making pitches that work for some of them. They're kind of on the fence. They kind of see something happening. The donuts show up, <laughs> blows up the whole plan. But then as soon as people start dropping off, Connor drops out first. And this is like a domino effect. The others are waiting to see. They're waiting for one to make a decision. And then they would all line up behind whoever that is. Connor makes the first decision. I'm out. I'm with dad. And immediately Kendall's like, you're useless anyway. I never wanted your vote anyway. 
good job. If you ever plan to win, win him back, now that's more work you have to make up, Kendall. Not too sharp. And then, of course, Shiv and Roman fall right in line going like, nope, we were only here to spy for Dad. We are out too. We're loyal to Dad. We screw you. We don't care, Kendall. You're out. And, of course, he turns on them both also. So speaking to, yet again, how there is still something missing for these folks' uh, leadership skills. And maybe it's not just that. It's also the familial part of it, right? They cannot escape their relationships. They're still the same kids they've always been. They can't get past it. And then in parallel, Logan is out on his own. Masha shows up, or Marsha, is that Marsha with an accent? I don't know if it's Masha or Marsha. I should look it up. His wife shows up. She had left after he had the affair last year, and now she's back. And she has, uh, and, and this empowers him. He finally has someone stable and loyal behind him. He starts to get his swagger back, Logan, that is. And meanwhile, Marsha's there with her lawyer negotiating a exit strategy of her own. She's going to make sure that her daughter gets money. She's going to make sure that she has, and she's basically leaves the lawyer to do the negotiating while she goes and is affectionate with Logan because she knows how to push Logan's buttons. So she's a player in and of herself. I mean, we've always known she's a player and, but this is just more proof. This gives Logan a little more swagger. Roman reaches out to him. That strengthens him even further. They have a photo opportunity. The family reunites on the tarmac. He comes back to New York. He decides he's not going to run away anymore. And the last moment in the episode, the last beat of this episode, is that we find out that he is making Shiv president. And she goes, what does that mean? And he tells her that it means whatever you want it to mean, but basically meaning that you are going to be puppeting Jerry. So this is an interesting point of the episode here at the end where we leave things. How is that going to work with Shiv supposedly being the sh the puppet master for Jerry? Is Jerry going to be okay with that? Jerry on the surface will be okay with it, but what angles is she going to work? Shiv projects a lot of confidence in her skills, but she in and of herself, she knows, she'll admit that she does not have executive experience. So she doesn't have the confidence to do this job. Jerry may very well manipulate her. And then of course, Roman there as well at Jerry's side and how will, Jer how will Roman be able to manipulate Shiv as well? So it's very interesting to see how the dynamic is. And I also wouldn't be surprised if Logan knows some of this and is trying to once again keep the siblings distracted, create enough drama so that Jerry can't take a real power, can't make a real power grab, and then work Kendall on the side. As a matter of fact, we know that Logan has the death of that waiter to hang over Kendall's head. And Marsha, of all people, says, hey, we can always mention that. Logan does make a very good point, though, that some bombs burn you as well uh, in the fact that, of course, he did the cover-up. So it's not a clean blackmail, but it is still there. It's still hanging over his head, over Kendall's head. The threat is there anyway. And like I mentioned earlier, Greg and his grandfather are have yet another angle being pulled here. Greg will have to probably do some spy work for his grandfather to kind of take the company down potentially. And of course, if they know what Greg actually has, those papers, which nobody really knows yet the full extent of what he has, that of course could in and of itself take down the company. So all these things are in play. All right, so my general opinion to the, to the whole episode, I, I really like this. I love the interactions between the family members. It, I feel like every time I watch another one of these episodes, the, the density of the psychology here is, is more and more fascinating on the Logan side and on the family side, the, the siblings. But what I will say, I really hope, I really do hope that this is the last episode we see of this type. I feel like we have seen this same type of thing where maybe not everyone in the room at one time, especially not Connor, who's usually not there, but we see Kendall angling to get Shiv on his side, angling to get Roman on his side, uh, trying to get Frank and Jerry on his side, which we didn't see this episode. But my point is we have seen this uh, kind of... Um, different dynamics here multiple times and this is maybe the best we've ever seen it's like a culmination of all these things that have been kind of teased at for seasons now but at the same time okay i got it i hope this is all foundational to things that are going to come this season but i think we got it <laughs> i don't need to see yet another episode in which the siblings sit down together they say hey what's a way we could take over the company they, at the end of the episode, say, forget about it. And then Logan just, you know, threatens them or makes a phone call or yells at somebody. Uh, and uh, and that's it. They all just, you know, tuck their tails between their legs and slink off. We've seen it. We've seen it again. Everyone's cards are on the table now. And I'm like, okay, good. This is table setting. I want to see more. I don't want to see this episode again in two weeks or in five weeks. Oh, one more thing I want to mention here, a couple that I thought was very interesting was uh, it's all about Stewie. <laughs> so first of all, Stewie sends the Trojan horse. A very impressive, very large paper mache, is that paper? Uh, Trojan horse to Rava's apartment. 
it's very funny. The whole conversation where someone like, should we look inside of it? <laughs> Maybe there's someone in there. Who knows, right? You should. You should check it for listening devices at least, right? And then uh, once again, Stewie related, I like the fact that where Kendall gets a text message in the middle of that conversation with his brothers and sister, and he says, you know what, everybody, I have to go kiss my kids goodnight. And you think this is sincere. You think this is legitimate. And it's not. He's sneaking away to go meet with Stewie, who's outside. And uh, Stewie basically tells him, look, I know you're trying to make another play. You screwed us over before, and uh, we, we don't have confidence in you, right? So this is basically what the siblings have been circling around the whole entire conversation. Stewie just comes right out and say, says it. And we also find out that Hope Davis, who's new to the cast, Hope Davis, who's playing Sandy's daughter, is basically there representing Sandy. I don't know if it was COVID or if it was um, you know, any health issues, but hopefully we will see the actor who plays Sandy later this season. But I guess temporarily we do get Hope David, which the Hope Davis, which is nothing to be upset about. She's such a great actress. Another great actor, actress that they bring onto the show. And there will be many more. Uh, later this season the cast is about to expand significantly based on what i've heard we haven't seen adrian brody by the way who's in the previews for example so yeah that's where we leave things logan's back on top siblings are back loyal with him minus Lo uh, kendall of course kendall doesn't seem to have the backing that he needs from stewie and sandy so he's kind of an island in of itself still and jerry's in control of the company for now like she mentions there's an asterisk next to those emperor's names and those pope's names for a reason so I'm looking forward to next week. I'm sure the government will come calling, and that's going to shake things up yet again. And what is Greg's grandfather's plan? So I hope you enjoyed that. Like I mentioned earlier, there will be more bonus content coming this week, more Halloween content. I have some reviews coming out. Oh, and of course, the Dune review should be out within the day or so. It's already recorded. Just didn't want to drop them all at the same time, basically. And I'll have some. I'll have a different kind of horror review there. I'm going to re be reviewing a horror novel. I highly recommend. So listen to that and it should be out within a day or so. So thanks again for listening. I'll talk to you soon.